I'm Tony Tardio. Hello and welcome to Darren Hinch's That's Life podcast, a podcast where we talk about the big stories of the past, the big stories of today, through the prism of Hinch's six decades in the media. In this episode, the Melbourne Cup, the race that has stopped a nation for almost 160 years. This year it stopped it again, but with no racing fans in the stands at Royal Flemington. It's 50 years since Darren Hinch went to his first Melbourne Cup. In the years since, he's rubbed shoulders with winners and losers. Also in this episode, the death of Sean Connery. Horse racing we're going to uh, talk about uh, today. The Melbourne Cup, the race that stops the nation. Well, it's, um, yeah, it has for... Over 100 years, but uh, today, by the time this goes to air, mainly the race will be over. So people have either lost their money or whatever. The most unusual Melbourne Cup because there'll be very few people there. I mean, normally there's 100,000 people at the Melbourne Cup. Um, and well, they used of, to get up to 120. In yeah, the, well, because in the old of COVID, days. though, they, they yeah. can't do it. I mean, they, they started off saying, yes, you can have 1,000 at the Cox Plate, and then they cancelled it. Um, I'm, I'm, I know people are growing against horse racing and saying it's cruel. A lot of people feel that way now. I guess the crowds are down, but going back to the old days, I remember my first Melbourne Cup, this would be in the 70s, right? I was living in New York, and I flew home for the Melbourne Cup, and I bumped into um, Sir Warwick Fairfax, who owned Fairfax, whom I worked for in New York. Now that's Walker's dad, is it? Yeah, yeah, and Sir Warwick... Bumped in, he said, oh, Darren, nice to see you. I'm glad you're here. He didn't say, what's my bureau chief in New York doing back in Australia for one day for a race? But on that very day, I remember, it was like I met Sir Warwick Fairfax, Bob Hawke, and it was Yevtushenko, who's a Russian poet. Um, and this, well, that was, that was this, this huge melting pot uh, of the Melbourne Cup. Now, if you remembered who won it, I could tell you what year that was. Do you have any memory of who no, won it? No, I that? can't remember the it year. It wasn't raining. No, it was, no, it was not. It was a beautiful day. Because 1976, there was a big out... Oh, 76. Oh, the, yes. the, the Mudlark won correct. it. Vanderhum That's correct. won it. Because I was editor of the Sydney Sun in 1976. I'd come home by then. Okay, and, so it was uh, before 76 then. Mm-hmm. You, you came from New yeah, York prior to 76. Yeah, prior to... Yeah, because I was, there, I was working in New York from 65, 65, 66 till 75. But I remember that when, when Vanderhum, the Mudlark, won because the race was delayed... Uh, I was editor, and we were down sweating on the on the on the composing room for the bloody result to come in, and they kept putting it back. It was a year when chiffon was a big thing at the Melbourne Cup, and in the rain, chiffon shrinks, and so you had all these <laughs> socialites there with very little clothing on, as I remember from when you saw the photos of them all, yeah, and their well, shoes were all ruined. Well, the jockey colours had all the mud over them, and uh, the race callers struggled to pick the colours, yeah. which would well, be you a couldn't nightmare. see the other side of the racetrack either. For, yes, you yeah. know, it was, it was yeah, it was a, a, a mate of mine. I won't mention his name. But streaking was a big thing back in those days, if you remember oh, correctly. Yeah, yeah, well, he streaked at that Melbourne Cup. He was going around and endangered the horses that time. One well, of them did. Well, no, no, it wasn't him. Oh, that was later on. Um, but after the race, he made a bet and uh, he had a big overcoat on with nothing on underneath. 
<laughs> from 300 metres to the finish line, he ran down the straight at Flemington with no clothes on. And I remember Bill Collins saying, oh, we have a streaker at Royal Flemington and all he's got is a green hawk bandage on his knee, which is, that, which is all he had. Uh, and uh, he went to court and they... They charged him and uh, fined him, but he made more money in bets, his bets. Yeah. than he did yeah. having to pay the fine. Yeah. So, and he's a bit embarrassed about it at the moment. I imagine <laughs> years later. Well, my my greatest Melbourne Cup story was the year that Water Nuisance won it. All right, I can't remember what year it was, but I know that Water Nuisance. Why I remember it is because eighty five. That'd be about right. Yeah, because I was um, I was at lunch at um, Dennis Gowing's restaurant in East Melbourne. Right. And I've heard this. Next, next table were were Lloyd Williams and uh, and the jockey and Dennis Gowing, and these two guys both told me they said, "Oh, we get this. We're going to win the Melbourne Cup this week, this year." And I said, "Well, great. I've heard it before. Andrew Peacock will tell me that every every year." But um, and the horse was what a nuisance. And I think he was number seven, which was my lucky number. And I said to them both, "Look, if you do win." Give me ten grand for the Variety Club for charity, and Lloyd said, "I'll do that," and uh, I, I'll do that. And also, um, Dennis said, "I'll do that." And the thing was, the next day was Melbourne Cup Day. It was on the Monday, the Tuesday's Melbourne Cup Day. On the way to the Cup, I stopped off at a breakfast at the Windsor Hotel, and instead of pulling something out of a hat in the sweep, you pulled a little mini bottle of champagne with a number on it. I pulled what a nuisance. And if you won, you got a Jeroboam of French champagne, which is worth a bloody fortune. Right? We get to the race, we get the court, and what a nuisance won. It was extraordinary. Um, and that night, I've told you the story before, that night um, there's, I went with them, with Williams and, uh, and, 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 and Dennis, to the Southern Cross for the, to the trainer's dinner. And I told the story about they're going to give money to, uh, to charity. Uh, in fact, I think they gave me, they didn't give me 10, they gave me 100 grand each, they gave me 10% of their winnings. And at the time it was about 1.2 million, so they got 600 grand each. So I got about 100 and something thousand. And that night, Dennison said, well, if, if, if we win the cup, I get to keep it, because Lloyd's already won before. We end up at Maxim's, which is the Tonky restaurant in South Yarra. And Mrs. Williams is there, and I'm there, and so is um, Dennis. And Dennis starts to grumble that Mrs. Williams is telling him that he's not going to get the cup, that Lloyd's going to take it. And I said to him, do you still have your limo outside? He said, yeah. I said, okay. If I nudge you with my elbow, just run to the car. Don't even ask me, just run to the car. So he said, okay. So we're in there and the dinner's going on and there's um, Lloyd's wife, Sue. Uh, she's snapping the fingers and ordering food and da-da-da. And she took her eye off the cup, which was in the middle of the table. So I just belted him with my elbow, grabbed the cup, raced outside, <laughs> leapt in the limo. We're driving down Turok Road. I'm waving it out the window. If a tram had come along, it would have taken it to, to <laughs> Glen Waverley. You know? And in those days, it was worth about 70 grand. Now it's worth about 200. Anyway, we took it back to his restaurant in East Melbourne and he filled it up with champagne and gave it to everybody in, in, in the whole place. You know, it, was a, it was a lovely gesture. <laughs> and so he, he got to keep it for, for six months. But when I, I used to go there... In the, when Jackie and I were married, we'd go on the Rolls Royce and you're parked in the birdcage and we all dined out of the boot. You know, all these rollers and luxury cars lined up and you opened your boot and there were chicken sandwiches and asparagus sandwiches and lots of champagne and lots of booze is, is flowing. And uh, it was 
and, and it, it was a fantastic social event apart from anything else. Uh, but on one one year, oh, I used to sometimes, before I got married, uh, I used to go to the Golden Gate for a Rat Pack lunch every Friday down in South Melbourne. And on Cup Day, the owner of the Golden Gate would bring a bus with all the waitresses and they'd pick me up at 3AW. You know, it'd be about two blokes and... 20 girls all on the one bus and we'd, we'd head out to, to Flemington in, in the bus, all the girls in there, all their cup finery. Two stories I remember from it. One was that one of the girls on the way home uh, had a bit too much champagne and we passed Harry Beitzel who suddenly saw me in, the, in this bus full of women and one of the girls mooned him <laughs> at the Melbourne Cup. <laughs> I don't think Harry ever got over it. Harry. <laughs> but, but on another occasion when I'm driving home from the cup and there's a huge driveway up from Flemington, right? And halfway up, I saw some people gather. A woman was lying on the ground. She'd obviously been knocked over by a car that took off. And uh, I leapt out of the roller, uh, did two things. I, I pulled a skirt down because it was up around her waist. I was being a very dignified gentleman. And I took off my – I had more a morning coat in those days. I took off my morning coat and put it under her head and got blood all over it. And as she rolled over – she was one of the waitresses from the Golden oh, Gate. Yeah. So somebody I knew, yeah. and she says, Darren, you know. <laughs> so, but it was, it, was, it was a great melting of, of, of it, melting pot. It, it is, and it's sort of a marker every year. You look back, and I mean, I, I read about 1965 when this lady called Jean Shrimpton came out here. Oh, Jean Shrimpton, yeah. And she wore a miniskirt, which turned the place upside down. It was about down. two inches above a knee, that was all. You know? Yeah, you look at the photograph now and it's pretty tame, <laughs> yeah. but back then it was seen as being very uh, out there and risque. And, of course, uh, 1977, the Governor-General of Australia, John Kerr, oh, yeah. and uh, he makes the speech, he's there in his you know, top finery with his top hat and tails, and he's pissed. Pisses a newt, yeah. Were you there then? Uh, no, I wasn't. No, I was overseas. But I remember. I, I, I remember it because it became notorious, and he was. He could hardly put, string two words together. You know? Yeah. Well, if you look on YouTube now, you can see uh, it's quite embarrassing, yeah. Yeah. really. Because that, that was the first cup after the sacking of the Whitlam government. So uh, yeah, he was getting on the turps fairly heavily. I think because people hated him. You know? Yeah. And they were booing him at the at the cup too. Oh yeah, they really gave it to him. You mentioned Andrew Peacock there. I remember uh, 1974 because I went to that cup in 74. He had a runner called Leilani. Leilani. Yeah, did right. he ever win the Melbourne Cup, Andrew? I, I don't think, think he ever did. I think Leilani did win it from, from memory. Yeah. No, Leilani came second. Think big one that, uh, oh, that I'm, I'm sure that Peacock did win. I know that we had a bet every year for $100 that he wouldn't, I bet him he wouldn't win the Melbourne Cup that year. And we had the standing bet for about 10 years and every cup day he'd come up and give me 100 bucks. How, how, how big is it? Because a lot of New Zealand horses oh, yeah. win the race. Yeah. Big in New Zealand? Huge. Oh, yes, yes. To, for, to be able to come over here and, and, and train over there, it's, it's like Irish conditions over there. They train them well and they've come over here and I don't know the numbers, but they've disproportionately be, be, have won the Melbourne Cup. Yeah. One of the stories I do recall was one you were there and you were in the members and uh, there was a champagne bar there and there was an escalator going up to the, uh, to the, the members' stands. And one day, one year, the, the escalator had stalled and wouldn't work. And if you you know if you tried it, trying to walk down a stalled escalator is very dangerous because it just the, the steps aren't the same. It as Feels usual. weird, yes. yeah. It's, it's it's weird. Anyway, Lillian Frank decided she'd walk down the stalled escalator steps, and she did. At near the bottom, sadly for Lillian, I've known very well over the years, she tripped and fell and badly gashed her leg. 
And I'm standing at the top of, we saw this happen, I'm at the top of the escalator with a, a comedian and radio guy called Doug Mulray. And, and Doug Mulray looked down and very loudly, everybody heard him, suddenly said, put a screen around her and shoot her. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you, can, you can imagine that. Here she, poor woman, with a hat all askew and she's lying on the ground, there's blood everywhere. And he's like, put a screen around her and shoot well, her. Well, that, that actually happened with a horse called Dulcify. Dulcify. It did indeed. Uh, they put a screen around that horse. The, the, at the 400-metre mark, the Aga Khan was here for that year, that race. And uh, I remember it extremely well because um, I was doing work for Channel O, as it was then, not Channel 10. And I was, my partner was Annette Allison, who was a newsreader on Channel O, and also was, quote, the face of the Melbourne Cup, because seven, 10 was sponsoring it. And after Dulcify died... Which was, it was put down because she'd been galloped on and had a back broken, so they had to put her down. Colin Hayes was the uh, trainer, and he gave a very soulful interview with the Herald Sun, was in the Herald, and said that Dulcify was a wonderful horse, had won about $5 million in, in what, and it was the favourite to win the Melbourne Cup. And uh, he said, and we've laid her to rest under a tree at Sunbury, right? Which was, oh, that's nice, you know. Bullshit. Didn't happen. Did not happen. Because somebody sent me a Polaroid of Dulcify, dead, on the back of a Pridham's truck with two dead sheep. Oh. Now, you knew it was Dulcify because Dulcify had what they knew it was called a parrot beak, a very distinctive mouth, if you know racing. I don't. But had a very a thing called a parrot beak and a blaze, a white blaze on the forehead, I think, from memory. But I know it had the parrot beak and it was, it was Dulcify. So... Next day, I went on Channel O and, and, and said, Dulcify was bullshit. Dulcify didn't, wasn't buried under an oak tree in Sunbury. She was turned into chicken pellets on a Pridham's truck. And on the way to work that day, Annette, I was living with, said, you can't use that. We're the face of the Melbourne Cup. I said, said you're, you, you're the Melbourne Cup. I said, I'm a journalist. Of course I'm going to use it. And we did, on, both on Channel O and then on, on, on 3AW. But the least they could have done was... Was done. And, and the, the scandal goes on now. I mean, again, we just saw the story a couple of days ago about a number of racehorses, including some of Jerry Hardy, Harvey's, who've been sent again to the knackery when they claimed when the story broke originally on television they would not do that anymore. Yeah, well, I guess it's all about money and uh, that's, that's, that's the, mm. the other side of it, isn't it? The, the terrible side of racing. And it's the same with greyhounds. Uh, oh, uh, greyhounds, uh, don't I mean, even start me on. You know, I, um, the first thing I did as a senator-elect was uh, attend uh, an animal liberation function in Sydney and say I'm supporting Baird, who's a premier, who's banning greyhound racing because greyhound racing is a, is a despicable sport. Sport, quote sport and but he he lost his job he quit as premier yeah over. yeah uh, I mean look it gives people uh, jobs and a living and income yeah, but you should and, treat them decently well that's right that's the thing is uh, it, it, they they're despicable because of the way they treat the animals and if the way they're they, no the longer way, the way wanted. they live bait the rabbits and stuff like that yeah you know? yeah and, and they've been given for twenty years greyhound racing has been told to clean up its act. And it hasn't. The dish lickers, it's never been cleaned up. Yeah, it's uh, uh, it's 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 the other side. I guess you know we we who go to the races, we we see the pomp and ceremony and all of that uh, finery that we see. Everybody's dressed up magnificently, mm-hmm. but we don't uh, see the uh, the other side of it. Uh, um, how does I it? I should go as, as a journo. I mean, I uh, I enjoyed the races, but I uh, I saw Tobin Bronze race in. Uh, 
Laurel Merritt, I think it was. I, I watched Cardigan Bay race in, in the United States, you know. And uh, Have you been to the Kentucky Derby? Derby? No, Derby, as they call Derby, it. Derby, is it? No, I never have. I, I never have, you know. Because uh, that's really... I looked this morning before I came here to see, you know, where does Melbourne Cup rank amongst all the great horse races of the world? And it's up there. I mean, there's the Japan Cup, there's the Kentucky Derby, there's the uh, the races in, in Britain... Mm. Uh, the one in Sydney now. Well, now got the Everest, to, which uh, is worth about fifteen million. I think it's one of the richest races in the world. It doesn't have the zing that the no. Melbourne Cup has. No. Well, the Melbourne Cup's had folklore forever. You know, the attempts to to, to shoot one of the horses, the the fact that Archer supposedly walked from Sydney to Melbourne, which he didn't. You know, in eighteen sixty one. So he didn't walk. No, Archer did not walk. No. But, but the stories are there that he oh he only walked all the way. And of way. course, then you got Farlap. I mean, you know, the great horse Farlap that you can go and see at the Melbourne Museum yeah. when it opens. Yeah. Um, wonderful, wonderful stories. And, of course, we've had Dennis, Another New pa- horse, you know. Dennis Pagan. Oh, wasn't that a brilliant story? Win, win the, uh, the the derby. Yeah. Uh, great he in, story. He was in tears. I mean, here's a, a champion football coach who switches to a st- – I don't know if he's always a horse follower, but he suddenly becomes a tra- – he's only been fo- trained for about five months or something, and he trains the winner. And, he, and not only does he win a, a grand final with North Melbourne, but he, but he wins a big horse race like that. Quite uh, quite a story. That's the thing about racing, isn't it? It can it can change people's lives in you know three minutes. Oh, of course it can. I mean, and and I have I can't remember what the uh, the prize money was, but he he trained the horse and he owned the horse, so he gets the the prize money as well. It was one point two million dollars. Made in, in an afternoon. Thank you, Mother, for the rabbits. The thing about Melbourne Cup, too, is we remember the names of the horses. Now, when you were a little boy in New Zealand, did, did, did you, do you have a memory of... Uh, no, no. W- when did that first come into your consciousness? I, I think when I got here. Uh, and I remember in in, in the six, late 60s, early 70s, writing an article for a, an American magazine, an airline magazine, on the Melbourne Cup. So, uh, so I got fairly immersed in it then, and that's one of the reasons I, when I came home uh, to to, uh, to see that one and uh, bumped into Sir Warwick. Um, but it, is, it has it's an extraordinary day. I mean, the um, the I mean, the last one I went to I haven't been to many in recent years. The last one I went to, uh, Gina Reinhardt was there, and I'd never met her before, and uh, she had an unfortunate. Fall at, at the end of it, you know. I'll tell you what, you can't get away. Funny thing, there's a picture of me. It appears a lot of times in the paper of Hinch proof that Hinch drinks wine now, and there's me with a glass of red. It was taken at the Melbourne Cup, and I'd taken a bottle of Eden Vale red non-alcoholic red wine with me and put it behind the bar and I still got pinged here I am for, actually on that day I was not drink didn't have a drink at all I had a bottle of eating there's always someone out there trying to get you that's right yeah with, 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 trying with, to catch with, you with, out with the iPhone and, but I said I wouldn't have mind if I'd caught me with a real glass of wine but for once I mean I, I have a glass of wine now and I put water in it but um, on that day I was not guilty your honour the great story of the Melbourne Cup is Maccabi Diva mm. that won three in a mm. row. I mean, that's just a, a remarkable achievement. And the jockey whose uh, brother died. Oh yes, Damien Oliver. What 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 story was that? The uh, the year that his brother died. Two thousand two. Media puzzle. Two thousand two. Extraordinary tale that and. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, to win th- to win one Melbourne Cup's big deal. To win two is fantastic. To win three is almost unheard of. It's like it's like trying to get a three peat in the grand final, you know. And the girl, Michelle Payne. Michelle Payne. Michelle Payne. There you go. This is a guy. Yeah, yeah, Michelle Payne. Yeah, well, yeah, well, my, my friend Rachel Griffiths made made the movie right. Yeah, that's girl, right. You know, and, that's uh, right. And they were shooting. I think the last couple I was out, they were actually shooting some background stuff then. And it was a, it was a great a great story. Did you ever meet Bart Cummings? Because he uh, yes, I did. He the, had he's the cups king, you know, he, having won a, He had the biggest eyebrows in the world. It was like a forest growing off his forehead. I well, mean, well, I reckon him and John Howard. Yeah, I was going to mention uh, John Howard's name because Howard, but how he made he made um, Howard look like he was bald. I well, mean, Howard used to cut them, but if he didn't cut them, I tell you, I reckon it'd be yeah, a battle well, there Bart between Cummings the didn't two. cut his. It was like a, a, a forest growing <laughs> off his forehead. I can tell you that. It was a, yeah. You ever you ever wanted to um, uh, own a horse, Darren? Or oh, luckily I did. Yeah, I, I I had dreams of. Of owning a horse once, and I wanted a, uh, I wanted a horse that was sort of like dark reddish brown in colour, because I had the name already picked out for it. It was going to be called Media Ochre. Right. <laughs> so my horse would be called Media Ochre. A horse called Hinch won a few races, and uh, I know one in Geelong once, and uh, but I think it was gelded. And then there's some another horse called Darren has won a few. And a horse called Shame, Shame, Shame has won a few. So, so oh, I've, I've had connections with the, with, the, with the racing industry. There's a uh, the, the cup itself um, uh, is, is a magnificent piece of uh, work. A little Italian guy in Elgin Street in Carlton's uh, been making the cup for like thirty years. Right? No one knows anything about him, but uh, I met his brother once, and uh, he said, "Oh, my brother makes the uh, the Melbourne Cup." Uh, so there well, you I know go. originally, but I the year that I stole it, it was worth about seventy grand, I think. But I think even now it's probably double, more than double that. So what happened to that cup that you stole? Um, well, Dennis Gowing took it home for six months and put it on the mantelpiece. Right, know? he's and since passed away, hasn't he? Uh, yeah, Dennis, he uh, quite but, a few uh, pubs. And then, then I think it went back to to Lloyd's place for a, they took took it took it in turns. Um, yeah, but. It was, a, it was a great level. I mean, sometimes some years it'd take you ages to even get there. You know, the traffic was so it was so terrible. But once you're in, it was. I, I being reasonably well known, I didn't venture out into the uh, into the zoo, the public area, I and mean, that was that could get pretty pretty ugly. At well, times. the public area is like uh, shoulder to shoulder. I remember going in 1974, and the Hawking brothers were playing uh, okay. on the lawn area there. Uh, that was the year Leilani came second. And I remember seeing this guy put like $500 on Leilani to win in, with the bookies at the back of the course there. And I remember thinking, $500? Unbelievable how much money uh, gets yeah. put on. Well, I knew of a, a famous entertainer, and I won't name him, but somebody told me that he, he'd, we overheard him putting some bets on, and, and he said, uh, 200 And I said, Two hundred bucks. I mean, I never bet that even that heavily. You know, no, two hundred thousand. Two hundred thousand. And and did that person? I have no idea. Went. I know he went bust a couple of times, but no. So imagine on a day betting two hundred grand on a horse. Unbelievable. Some of the names of the horses, you know, just stick in your memory for uh, some reason. Gala Supreme. Rain Lover, Silver Knight. Yeah, Rain Lover was a great horse. Yeah. Uh, 
Well, Gunsind is another horse mm-hmm. I seem to remember, but I don't think it ever won a, uh, a, a Melbourne Cup. Reckless. Yeah, you remember the story of Reckless? Tommy Woodcock. Oh, yeah. Who who actually was the um, strapper for Far Farlap, yes, yes. He had this horse called Reckless in 1977, and it almost won. It came second, didn't quite. Uh, but Tommy Woodcock was one of these guys, you know, that uh, probably doesn't happen anymore, that uh, a poor guy, he's a trainer, trainer all his life, uh, struggled and struggled, and then he gets this one horse that changes his uh, yeah. his life. yeah. Yeah, he, he was a strapper for Farlap, but that, that, that's quite true. Uh, all the stories about when see, it was Les Darcy was the boxer, they, he died in America, they thought he'd been poisoned, and Farlap died in America, they thought he'd been, she'd been, he or she'd been poisoned. But I think the real story of Farlap was eight, some, some, you know, like alfalfa that was off or something like that, or was, you know, it was gas, gaseous or right. something like that, and, uh, and he died over there. So. But, but, the, but the fact that the Americans supposedly murdered him was... Uh, a yarn that went around for a long, long, long yeah. time. Well, we hope the Melbourne Cup... Uh, was it a big one with no crowds? And yeah, and it uh, continues to grow. It's, it's changed a lot over yeah. the years, hasn't it? Because yeah. now you've got all these overseas horses yeah. that, that come in. Yeah. And, yeah. and also they've they built the uh, the birdcage now with all the, all the corporate booths and things like that there, which is, if you get invited in, it's pretty pretty snazzy. Well, listen, listen. Of course, this year there's going to be none, no, no crowds because of COVID. And I want to ask you a COVID question because see if, I mean... We've been out last week. We got our first few days of freedom in Melbourne, and I've been accused of suffering from the Stockholm syndrome because I haven't changed my life much at all. I'm still doing. I saw you tweet that, and I'm still doing what I used to do. I mean, and like today, if I wasn't here with you doing the podcast, uh, I'd um, have lunch at home. I'd watch the news and I'd watch a bit of telly. Then I'd go for my one-hour walk and do the Goya walk and. Uh, yeah, That's well, right. I, I think it's something that uh, it takes a bit of a while to get a bit of confidence that you can go out. I mean, I went to a shopping centre yesterday and there mm. wasn't a lot of people in the, in the shopping centre. Mm. Lots of people wearing masks. Um, Thank goodness. Yeah. yeah. Look, I used to have, well, before Goya, before, um, Goya, before COVID, um, I'd have a habit on many days of mid-afternoon, I'd, go, I'd take my laptop and go across the road to my local pub and sit there with my laptop and do a bit of work. And uh, now I'm thinking, I'm not sure I'll do that in future. Because you... I I can do it. What I've been doing for five months is every afternoon, writing at home, working at home, working on a book. Well, I I, I reckon with work and stuff, it's going to take a while before people venture back into their offices. Mm. Well, the biggest thing is whether they venture back in at all. Because uh, two things, and I was doing this on Sunrise the other day, People are being urged to work from home. Some companies are now saying, well, you can continue and permanently work from home. Um, You've got to see things happening. Suddenly, say there's 100... You you paid 100 grand for rent in in the the city, and the the money man says, we don't need that. We can get a little place for 20 grand and invite the staff in one day a week or two days a week. And where it's going to hurt, apart from people saying, well, it saves me money, my travel time, my travel money, da-da... Where it'll hit is if you own a coffee shop or a sandwich bar in the CBD in Melbourne or Sydney, I'm making these figures up, but maybe 5,000 people walk past your shop every lunchtime. Now only 1,000 will. Your business is going to drop dramatically. Well, that's if it's survives. Oh, yeah, because you've got a lot of other businesses there as well. Well, and you've got to find that 
people are working from home, parking stations aren't going to make the fortune they used to make because the cars won't be coming in. The metro won't be making as much because people won't be travelling as much. Suddenly an office says, we don't need cleaning staff every night. We get them every four days. So the ripple effects of this COVID, post-COVID normal is extraordinary, just extraordinary. We also had, Darren, uh, recently uh, one of the great actors pass away. Uh, People say he was the best Bond there ever was. Sean Connery. He was the best Bond that ever was. He was Bond. He set the tone for Bond. I haven't seen Daniel Craig in, in it. I'm told he's very good. And he's more the way that Ian Fleming saw him as a not-so-suave and not-so-shaken, not-stirred martini person, you know. But uh, but Sean Connery was, was, was amazing um, as an actor. Not only in that, in other, other movies as well. He didn't get typecast as James Bond. He managed to put it with all the other movies that he made. Um, I, got a, 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 I had lunch with Sean Connery at, at the Flower Drum in Melbourne once, and it was quite funny because we had a very entertaining lunch. And this is around the time that Maggie Thatcher was Prime Minister. And at lunch, Connery ripped the shit out of her because he was, he was quite left-wing in, in some areas, uh, even being Scottish. He, he was, but he didn't, he didn't put that out there in public much. Anyway, we had a, great, a very entertaining lunch for several hours. Next day, he's on my radio program. And so I said, oh, uh, by the way, Mr Connery, he said, you know, I mean, you obviously show a lot of interest in politics. What do you think about Maggie Thatcher? Having ripped the shit out of her all afternoon... He's oh I don't talk about politics I can't I can't I can't do that and so he hung me out to dry he would not be drawn well I, I guess he realised that once you uh, you know put your opinions out there then yeah. there's half, half the world will yeah, dislike so, so, you uh, the box office may shrink and yeah. he's very shrewd with all that but he he was a fascinating man to meet up with and for people who I'm not going to go and tell the joke but the, there's a joke involving Sean Connery. And it's a true story, actually, not a joke. It's a true story. Sean Connery and Audrey Hepburn. Ask your friends. It's one of the funniest jokes, stories I've ever heard. It happened in a pub in London. That's all I'll say. But um, he, he was married to an Australian. He was married to Diane Cilento. Oh, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, the, the actress Diane Cilento. Yeah, I, I know nothing about his uh, private life, whether he had children or anything like that. Mm. But uh, he, he had son. this beautiful voice. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> women. Stentorian as well, I think. See, Richard Burton had that sort of. They had beautiful voices. Yes, you know? yeah. And uh, women uh, found him mm. irresistible. Mm. Uh, for, <laughs> Do you know what people told. didn't know about him? Um, two things. Paul Newman wore contact lenses, those beautiful blue eyes of his, uh, in the early days of contact lenses. And for many years, Sean Connery wore a wig. <laughs> he had a... Yeah. Well, that, that, that he, changes Yeah, because when you saw him and in recent years, he just let it all go bald. And, yeah. He was bald... M- Many, many Well, years. now that I think about it, all those shots of uh, him with Bond, he had that weird sort of like thing on his hair. That's a wig. It was a wig. Right. Yeah, yeah well. It, it the, didn't, didn't suit the James Bond image to have him wearing a wig. And he passed away at the age of 90. Uh, 90 so yeah. uh, we. we um, I think he was living in the Bermuda or the Bahamas, I think, uh, from, from memory. You know? Right. But he had not been seen in public for about. Three years. So whether he'd been sick, I do not know. But he um, he did appear. There was a picture taken of him only a few weeks ago, and somebody wrote on it that it was the first time he'd been seen out and about. Uh, right. 
And he was married to the same woman for about 40 years. Or well, unusual, I guess, in Hollywood, if, you, if yeah. you're an actor in Hollywood. Yeah, so. Mr. Hinch, right. uh, thank you very much. Uh, we should say... Um, subscribe to the podcast through Apple. Is it? I think, yeah, yeah, subscribe and then you'll get it all automatically yeah. and it comes every Tuesday. That, that's right. We put it every, every Tuesday. We will uh, talk again next week. We will indeed.